Chapter 2 of Master Zacharias by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pride of Science The severity of the Geneva merchant in business matters has become proverbial. He is rigidly honorable and excessively just. What must, then, have been the shame of Master Zacharias when he saw these watches, which he had so carefully constructed, returning to him from every direction? It was certain that these watches had suddenly stopped, and without any apparent reason. The wheels were in a good condition and firmly fixed, but the springs had lost all elasticity. Vainly did the watchmaker try to replace them. The wheels remained motionless. These unaccountable derangements were greatly to the old man's discredit. His noble inventions had, many times, brought upon him suspicions of sorcery, which now seemed confirmed. These rumors reached Durand, and she often trembled for her father, when she saw malicious glances directed towards him. Yet, on the morning after this night of anguish, Master Zacharias seemed to resume his work with some confidence. The morning sun inspired him with some courage. Aubert hastened to join him in the shop, and received an affable, Good day. I am better, said the old man. I don't know what strange pains in the head attacked me yesterday, but the sun has quite chased them away with the clouds of the night. In faith, master, returned Aubert. I don't like the night for either of us. And thou art right, Aubert. If you ever become a great man, you will understand that day is as necessary to you as food. A great savant should always be ready to receive the homage of his fellow men. Master, it seems to me that the pride of science has possessed you. Pride, Aubert? Destroy my past? Annihilate my present, dissipate my future, and then it will be permitted to me to live in obscurity. Poor boy, who comprehends not the sublime things to which my art is wholly devoted, art thou not but a tool in my hands? Yet, Master Zacharias, resumed Auber, I have more than once merited your praise for the manner in which I adjusted the most delicate parts of your watches and clocks. No doubt, Aubert, thou art a good workman, such as I love. But when thou workest, thou thinkest thou hast in thy hands but copper, silver, gold. Thou dost not perceive these metals which my genius animates, palpitating like living flesh so that thou wilt not die with the death of thy works. Master Zacharias remained silent after these words, but Albert essayed to keep up the conversation. Indeed, master, he said, I love to see you work so unceasingly. You will be ready for the festival of our corporation, for I see that the work on this crystal watch is going forward famously. No doubt, Aubert, cried the old watchmaker, and it will be no slight honor for me to have been able to cut and shape the crystal to the durability of a diamond. Ah, 
Louis Burgum did well to perfect the art of diamond cutting, which has enabled me to polish and pierce the hardest stones. Master Zacharias was holding several small watch pieces of cut crystal and of exquisite workmanship. The wheels, pivots, and case of the watch were of the same material, and he had employed remarkable skill in this very difficult task. Would it not be fine, he said, his face flushing, to see this watch palpitating beneath its transparent envelope, and to be able to count the beatings of its heart? I will wager, sir, replied the young apprentice, that it will not vary a second in a year. And you would wager on a certainty. Have I not imparted to it all that is purest of myself? And does my heart vary? My heart, I say. Albert did not dare lift his eyes to his master's face. Tell me frankly, said the old man sadly. Have you never taken me for a madman? Do you not think me sometimes subject to dangerous folly? Yes. Is it not so? In my daughter's eyes and yours, I have often read my condemnation. Oh! He cried as if in pain. To be misunderstood by those whom one most loves in the world. But I will prove victoriously to thee, Albert, that I am right. Do not shake thy head, for thou wilt be astounded. The day on which thou understandest how to listen to and comprehend me, thou wilt see that I have discovered the secrets of existence, the secrets of the mysterious union of the soul with the body. As he spoke thus, Master Zacharias appeared superb in his vanity. His eyes glittered with a supernatural fire, and his pride illumined every feature. And truly, if ever vanity was excusable, it was that of Master Zacharias. The watchmaking art, indeed, down to his time had remained almost in its infancy. From the day when Plato, four centuries before the Christian era, invented the night watch, a sort of clepsydra which indicated the hours of the night by the sound and playing of a flute. The science had continued nearly stationary. The masters paid more attention to the arts than to mechanics, and it was that period of beautiful watches of iron, copper, wood, silver, which were richly engraved, like one of Cellini's ewers, they made a masterpiece of chasing, which measured the time imperfectly, but was still a masterpiece. When the artist's imagination was not directed to the perfection of modeling, it set to work to create clocks with moving figures and melodious sounds, whose appearance took all the attention. Besides, who troubled himself in those days with regulating the advance of time? The delays of the law were not as yet invented. The physical and astronomical sciences had not as yet established their calculations on scrupulously exact measurements. There were neither establishments which were shut at a given hour, nor trains which departed at a precise moment. In the evening, the curfew bell sounded, and at night, the hours were cried amid the universal silence. 
Certainly people did not live so long if existence is measured by the amount of business done, but they lived better. The mind was enriched with the noble sentiments born of the contemplation of chef-d'oeuvre. They built a church in two centuries. A painter painted but a few pictures in the course of his life. A poet only composed one great work. But these were so many masterpieces for after ages to appreciate. When the exact sciences began at last to make some progress, Watch and clockmaking followed in their path, though it was always arrested by an insurmountable difficulty, the regular and continuous measurement of time. It was in the midst of this stagnation that Master Zacharias invented the escapement, which enabled him to obtain a mathematical regularity by submitting the movement of the pendulum to a sustained force. This invention had turned the old man's head. Pride swelling in his heart like mercury in the thermometer had attained the height of transcendent folly. By analogy, he had allowed himself to be drawn to materialistic conclusions, and as he constructed his watches, he fancied that he had discovered the secrets of the union of the soul with the body. Thus, on this day, Perceiving that Aubert listened to him attentively, he said to him in a tone of simple conviction, Dost thou know what life is, my child? Hast thou comprehended the action of those springs which produce existence? Hast thou examined thyself? No. And yet, with the eyes of science, Thou mightest have seen the intimate relation which exists between God's work and my own. For it is from his creatures that I have copied the combinations of the wheels of my clocks. Master, replied Aubert eagerly, can you compare a copper or steel machine with that breath of God which is called the soul, which animates our bodies as the breeze stirs the flowers? What mechanism could be so adjusted as to inspire us with thought? That is not the question, responded Master Zacharias gently, but with all the obstinacy of a blind man walking towards an abyss. In order to understand me, thou must recall the purpose of the escapement which I have invented. When I saw the irregular working of clocks, I understood that the movements shut up in them did not suffice, and that it was necessary to submit them to the regularity of some independent force. I then thought that the balance wheel might accomplish this, and I succeeded in regulating the movement. Now, was it not a sublime idea that came to me to return to it its lost force by the action of the clock itself, which it charged with regulating? Aubert made a sign of assent. Now, Aubert, continued the old man, growing animated, cast thine eye upon thyself. Dost thou not understand that there are two distinct forces in us, that of the soul and that of the body? that is, a movement and a regulator. The soul is the principle of life, that is then the movement, 
whether it is produced by a weight, by a spring, or by an immaterial influence, it is nonetheless in the heart. But without the body, this movement would be unequal, irregular, impossible. Thus the body regulates the soul, and, like the balance wheel, it is submitted to regular oscillations. And this is so true, that one falls ill when one's drink, food, sleep, in a word, the fluctuations of the body, are not properly regulated. Just as in my watches, the soul renders to the body the force lost by its oscillations. Well, what produces this intimate union between soul and body, if not a marvelous escapement, by which the wheels of the one work into the wheels of the other? This is what I have discovered and applied, and there are no longer any secrets for me in this life, which is, after all, only an ingenious mechanism. Master Zacharias looked sublime in this hallucination, which carried him to the ultimate mysteries of the infinite. But his daughter, Durand, standing on the threshold of the door, had heard all. She rushed into her father's arms, and he pressed her convulsively to his breast. What is the matter with thee, my daughter? he asked. If I had only a spring here, said she, putting her hand on her heart. I would not love you as I do, father. Master Zacharias looked intently at Gerond and did not reply. Suddenly he uttered a cry, carried his hand eagerly to his heart, and fell fainting down on his old leathern chair. Father, what is the matter? Help, cried Aubert. Scholastique! But Scholastique did not come at once. Someone was knocking at the front door. She had gone to open it. And when she returned to the shop, before she could open her mouth, the old watchmaker, having recovered his senses, spoke. I divine, my Scholastique, that you bring me still another of those accursed watches which have stopped. Lord, it is true enough replied Scholastique, handing a watch to Aubert. My heart could not be mistaken, said the old man with a sigh. Meanwhile, Aubert carefully wound up the watch, but it would not go. End of chapter 2